What's good, people? It's your boy Caesar here, and this is an episode of The Hybrid Club. Hope all is good. You know where to find us on the socials at The Hybrid Club, um, and you know where to find me at C Says. Well, it's been a bit of a gap since the last one. We had a few things cooked up for the World Cup, but unfortunately, life happened, and so wasn't able to get some of them done. But no worries, we will have plenty of stuff for you for the rest of the season, including a competition coming up around the North London Derby, which you can look forward to very, very shortly. Um, to be honest, I'm just using this as a opportunity to, opportunity to catch up on you know, all things Arsenal at the moment and just share some of my thoughts at the moment because, to be honest, they're bouncing around in my head as they probably are with you. Um, and it seemed like a good time to do it with a few games under our belt back from the World Cup and some important games to come up. So, um, as I said, you know, it's find us, like, subscribe, follow, retweet, repost, all of that good shit. Um, but to be honest, I just want to crack into it. So, obviously, we had the break for the World Cup, which is a few weeks away now. Um, and... I don't know how you guys feel, but it feels like a world away. You know, it was literally a little bit over a month ago um, that we were still very much in World Cup mode. And now we're back in, you know, domestic football mode. And the World Cup seems, you know, like another lifetime, really. Um, I'm sure Argentina, Argentina fans, Messi, they're still kind of in the afterglow of, of, of that victory. But there is something about a winter World Cup and winning the trophy in the middle of a season that I think doesn't really allow players to fully bask in the achievement because they've got to get their head right back on, um, you know, the, the the goals and aims of their domestic competitions. And I do wonder whether, you know, if you are a, a Argentina player, Lionel Messi, something like that, and you've got to come back and switch on and focus, how difficult that would be. Whereas I suppose if you were a player for a team who... Um, you know, hoped to win, but didn't, you've either got to shake off the disappointment and, and refocus or your sort of welcome the distraction of club football from the disappointment. In any case, we are where we are. Um, I, for one, am happy to have domestic football back. Other than major tournaments, international football does not interest me in the slightest. So while I enjoyed the World Cup in some respects, other parts less so, just happy to have the Arsenal back. And we, of course, have been fully underway for a few weeks now. Um, of course, we came back and um, had the game against West Ham. Uh, solid win, a little rusty. Uh, I think we we're all curious to see how the team would come back sort of without the likes of Jesus there leading the attack and see whether we'd still have the fluency. We saw some players were back at it like they never left. You know, your Bukayo Saka's. Martinelli's um, other players a little bit rusty, particularly William Saliba. Um, but West Ham were not good, and they haven't been this season. It's it's, it's a fact. They are a far a far cry from the team that went deep in Europe. Um, so it was probably a good team to face um, on the way back, particularly with a game at home. Um, we then, of course, played a very 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 good Brighton side, and I've got to say that Brighton side. Um, they will take points, they have done, and they will continue to take points off a lot of teams this season. So the fact that we were able to put four goals past them away from home, I think, uh, says a lot about the quality of our squad. We still weren't up at our absolute sharpest, but um, I think the, the game uh, speaks for itself in a lot of ways. They definitely had, you know, more of the ball. Um, they had more passes, better pass accuracy, 
Um, but we got off more shots in total and more shots on target. And ultimately, we were more clinical. Um, they did get a couple of goals in this game, obviously. But I think how we feel about the game and how we feel about the goals conceded are largely impacted by the order we concede them in. You know, this game feels very different if we go 2-0 down and then storm back to score four goals. Whereas if we scored four goals and they pulled back two with, you know, 10 minutes left, we'd be feeling a bit different. So um, the fact that Matoma goal got chalked off, I think, was a massive help because, you know, if you if, if the game, if they scored a third and it's 4-3, I think, again, um, that's a bit of a nervy ending. But uh, in the end, we managed to pull off a decent win. And I think if you go away to Brighton and win by two clear goals, you're doing well. Um, then, of course, just recently, we had the game against Newcastle. Um up until this point, I think, you know, Brighton are tricky side, West Ham, um, good team to play, particularly in the form they were in. Newcastle, third place. We are we are further along in our development than I think we as fans probably would have assumed at the start of the season. If you listen to people speaking at the club, Arteta Edu, it sounds like the plan was for us to be able to compete with some of the best teams in the league by this stage. But I think if they're being honest, they probably weren't expecting to be, you know, seven points, five points clear at the top of the table ahead of Man City in this stage. They probably thought be in the mix of top four. But but we have been. And because teams like Chelsea are a dumpster fire, because Liverpool are feeling the effects of an aging squad that they didn't turn over quickly enough, I think, um, and also, you know, let's face it, year after year after year of, of fighting and competing with City, and them just marching on to winning and winning and winning. I think it wears you down mentally. I think I don't just think it's the Liverpool have an aging squad. I think mentally being worn down by the effects of the intensity of what it takes to compete with a, a team like City, I think is is worn them down as well. But that's by the by, we're not here to talk about Liverpool. Um, basically, the form of our teams, the fact that United are, again, a dumpster fire, um, though getting better, uh, admittedly. Um and Tottenham are Tottenham. So that means that Newcastle are in a position where they could, you know, where they are third, the third place team, third best team in, in, in the league. And I think, uh, you know, on form rightly so, their defence is incredibly frugal. They give nothing away. They are absolutely stingy. Um, and they showed that in our game against them. The first 15 minutes, we were completely on top of them, completely dominated them. Um, and then after that, they realised that, you know what, there's a reason Arsenal are top of the table. We can't compete with them. So they immediately shut up shop, sat back and looked for the opportunity to, you know, gain territory up the field, take advantage of set pieces. But otherwise, they didn't want to game with us. And to be honest, I've got no problem with that. Um, football is about solving problems. Um, we're talking about professional football. We're talking about winning games. And if you can't win games, don't lose them. In some of our, in some of the late years under Wenger, I really wish we'd adopted more of a mature approach to some of our games against a tougher opposition. And instead of just not doing anything about it, when we came up against difficult opposition, I wish we would have adopted a, if you can't win, don't lose mentality. And we just never did. So seeing a team do that, I think it shows a level of maturity that Newcastle have um, as a squad. And while it's not pretty on the eye, while I, while I certainly wouldn't want to see it, Newcastle fans would love it. They, and they were, you saw them in the crowd, they were absolutely loving it. Shirts off, you know, helicopter, screaming, you know, they're, they're, they're having the time of their lives. And look, Newcastle are coming. We know the amount of money they have back in them. We know the situation there. They are coming. Um, they were a force in English football. They're going to be a force in English football 
again. Uh, so that is all the more reason that we need to uh, take an opportunity that's presented to us this season. So in that game, they decided to turn it into a bit of a rugby match, rile us up, trying to get us to lose our call, cool, lose our discipline. Nearly worked, looked like it was working. We regained our composure um, and then just played our game. To be honest, if you're going against a team that has, you know, conceded what? I think they've conceded 11 goals all season. You know, we've only conceded 14. They've conceded 11 all season. Um, you know, they've lost one game the entire season. Less than City. I think uh, when you're going up against a team like that, if you drop, you know, one point at home, it's not great. But it's not terrible. Um, so we move. And I think Eddie Howe's done a good job, as much as it sickens me to say that. He's done a very good job there. Um, and it hasn't... And that's a, a thing I do want to point out, actually. If you look at the Premier League table at the moment, you've got Chelsea in 10th, Villa in 11th, Palace at 12th, Leicester in 13th, Leeds in 14th, Forest in 15th, Bournemouth in 16th, West Ham in 17th, Everton in 18th, Wolves in 19th, and Southampton 20th. Southampton lost their last five games in the league. Um, Wolves have lost three of their last five. Everton have lost four of their last five. West Ham have lost four of their last five. Bournemouth for one, one lost four of their last five. Newcastle were very much in that bottom half of the table for a long time. Um, you know, they'd oscillate between mid-table to bottom half. And it took Eddie Howe coming in, some good tactical coaching and a few smart signings. Didn't break the bank, didn't try and go out and buy Europe's best immediately just by overpaying for you know, over the hill, um, former superstars, you know, Dan Byrne, and they got themselves Botman, who looks like a proper defender, by the way, you know, obviously they, they went and, um, got themselves a few, a few tidy players to, to play. Obviously Alexander Isak, young, promising, but has been injured. Um, you know, they, they decided to go about it a different way and it looks like they're building sensibly and you see the difference a decent coach, some decent, um, some decent coaching, and just buying some smart, sensible, decent players to fit the system you want to play. And you see the difference it makes to your position in the table. You can shoot up the Premier League table pretty quickly by making some sensible transfers. Now, of course, how many of those players Newcastle would have been able to attract in the time frame that they've attracted them without the new um, project? I don't know, but. We can't sit here and act like they've dropped 400 million in one transfer window to turn their, their their club around. That's not what's happening. They're building sensibly. So we need to be mindful of that. And I think I say all of that not to heap praise on Newcastle, like the best thing since sliced bread. That's not what I'm saying in the slightest. So don't take it that way. But I do think we have to recognize that smartly run clubs can gain some of those marginal gains um, that can help them jump and then, you know, stay there. Newcastle are taking advantage of um, what's happening this season we've so far taken advantage of what's happening, what's been happening this season. And we've been taking advantage of a period within which Man City haven't really been their best. I mean, obviously they dropped points against Everton the other week. Um, and while they, you know, have comprehensively beaten Chelsea twice in a row, league and cup, um, against Chelsea in the league, they weren't great. City were not great. And I think losing some of the players they've lost has impacted the fluidity of some of their play you know, in, in terms of uh, progressing the ball wide and coming in, but having Holland there, you know, scoring 20 plus goals by New Year is just ridiculous. So, you know, whatever it is they've lost 
to, to, to get him. I don't think they've exactly lost out, as it were. But it does mean, I think, there may be opportunities to take advantage if they drop points. And this is where the period we're coming up to becomes so vital. Because if you look at um, our games coming up this season, um, particularly in this in this upcoming period, we're going to have some pretty pivotal pivotal uh, pivotal games coming up. Um, you know, where obviously we have Oxford United coming up in the cup. I love the FA Cup. It's one of those competitions that I remember um, watching growing up. I'm still enough to old enough to remember when they used to interview teams on the bus and remember that Liverpool side going to Wembley in the cream suits before they got absolutely battered. Um, you know, I'm I'm old enough to to remember. You know, Newcastle '98. Um, you know, it, it's it's a competition that really, it's a competition that really means a lot to me. Um, and I know it's lost some of its sheen in sort of the as the the Premier League has become this massive global product. But it's an, it's a competition I always enjoy seeing us play in. It's a competition I always enjoy watching. And, you know, when you get a game against lower league opposition, you automatically think to yourself, it's an opportunity to see some of the other players in the squad, some of the young players, and see what they can do. Just because of the sheer size of the squad, I don't think we're going to see, you know, uh, you know, there would have been a time under Wenger, for example, where he might have played some of the under 23s in, in this kind of fixture with a sprinkle of some of the senior players. I don't think we're going to see that because I think some of the under 23 players who are probably in a position to, you know, play and be expected to win this kind of game are out on loan. Um, and the others probably a bit further back in their development. But that being said, I think we're going to see a rotated side, but we'll come on to that. But, you know, post um, the FA Cup, you know, we're looking at um, the likes of Spurs, North London Derby away, United at home, Everton away, you know, that's in early Feb. By the time that comes around, maybe Lampard loses his job. They've got a new manager, new manager bounce. You never know. We've got Brentford after that. Good side. They go from, you know, beating whoever to being a bit mess. So depending on which Brentford shows up, that could go, you know, any direction. City, of course, that's going to be a big one, middle of Feb. Then we've got Villa, Unai Emery. The one thing we know about Unai Emery teams is they can get beat. But he is very good again against. Uh, he's very good at setting up against better teams. Um, so that'll be a difficult one, particularly with the history there. Leicester have been terrible, but that's so far. You never know. I don't expect them to turn it around by then, but you never really know. And look, we should be winning the majority of the games we play, particularly the way we're playing with the way the squad is playing. But we do have to talk about you know the injuries. We do have to talk about the the amount of games coming up, the fixture congestion, and it's the recovery time, the recovery period. In January, I think we're okay because effectively we've got three games left in the month, you know, out of three or four weeks left in the month, so it's okay. But from February onwards, the number of games picks up, particularly if we stay in the, the race for the Cup. So it's it's going to be an interesting one, um, which brings me to the next sort of couple of talking points, really. One is about additions to the squad, and the other is about ambitions for the season. Um Let's start with additions to the squad. We all know what we need. Um, I don't think it's a surprise. It's been needed since the summer. This isn't just because of the Jesus injury or anything like that. Um, right now, we're missing Jesus. We're missing Nelson. But pretty much everyone else is there or thereabouts. Obviously, Smith-Rowe's back in training. We've seen the images. I've seen the video. So hopefully, 
he can come back, get some minutes against Oxford, and we can slowly build him back to the point where he can contribute in the first team in, for the second half of the season, much like he did, um, particularly in the first half of last season. If he can do, if he can replicate his form in the first half of last season, in the second half of this season, then that will go a long way to helping us achieve our ambitions. Um, but yeah, with that with that being said, additions are seriously required. I I. I I don't think any of us. I don't think there's anyone out there who believes we can go the second half of the season with the squad exactly as it is. Um, just to that point, you know, I was looking at the starting lineups for the game since we came back for the World Cup, and you know, against West Ham, for example, we had Cedric on the bench, who you know may well be going to Fulham if they can agree his wages. Uh, Marquinhos, who I'm sure the club have one eye on a potential loan for the second half of the season, though I think he'll stay with us. Um, and then they had Cozier Dubery on the bench you know, number 85 squad, number one of our youth players um, when against Brighton. Um, you know, on the bench, we had the likes of, again, Cedric on the bench, Rob Holding, um, Marquinhos. There was no real attacking options off the bench if you wanted to change it. You have Fabio Vieira there, but that's more of an eight. Can play um, sort of wide forward on the right. But you're not really doing anything up front if you need to change the game there against Newcastle, similar situation, right? Um, Cedric didn't make the bench on that occasion, but you've got El Nenny, Marquinhos, and otherwise you've got, you know, uh, Butler or Yudeji. Again, another one of our youth players. Um, so if you wanted to change something in a Newcastle game, the number 43 in your squad isn't really going to do that. Now, we clearly needed something off the bench. And when you see the likes of Baloya Deji and Marquinhos on the bench, it tells you that there's a couple of spaces on our bench to be filled. Now, of course, we don't have Nelson. We don't have um, Jesus and Smithrow wasn't there. So maybe they would have taken those spots. And you say, OK, you know, if Eddie was on the bench and Smithrow was on the bench, it gives you options against Newcastle. Not just a like-for-like swap, Eddie for Jesus and Smithrow for Mart uh, Martinelli, for example. You could put Eddie on and keep Jesus on the pitch and suddenly you've got twice as much threat for, for Newcastle to think about because they weren't providing much of a threat going the other way so you can sacrifice some of that control. Um, these are, these are They're just things we couldn't consider because the players aren't there. Um, and I don't think this is just about having the additions to have on the bench or to have options to be able to change the game and that kind of thing. You know how I feel about it. I've spoken about it a lot on this podcast about it being a squad game and it's not about the 11 men who start the game. It's very much about the squad and how you, how you have enough players to achieve your ambitions over the course of a season. Um, so I think there's at least two positions that should be available. Um, both of them forward positions. I think you could easily find a player who can play wide and through the middle, or you can play find a player who can play through the middle or in number eight position. I think both those, both those roles are open. Um, I really don't know about an out-and-out centre-forward um, unless it's a straight loan. You know, I unless, of course, the out-and-out centre-forward you're signing essentially is going to replace Nketiah and you're then going to sell Nketiah in the summer, you know, which I know it sounds a bit weird. He just got a new contract, but, you know, re-sign him, protect his value. He does well for, for a season and then you sell him on for a, for a big profit. It's not the wildest thing to ever happen in football. I'm not saying it will happen. I'm not saying I want it to happen. I'm just saying the only way I see a, an out-and-out centre-forward coming in on a permanent basis is if there are question marks about Eddie long-term, um, particularly as well when you've got Balogun, who's doing really well in Ligue 1. Um, 
you you're not necessarily going to want to block the pathway for him unless you don't think he can do it at this level at which point yeah he has a good loan um in in france and then maybe you're either putting him on loan again and then selling him or selling him off the back of his, his loan in france so there are a lot of permutations and also you got to remember when it comes to the additions it's not just about the player you bring in to achieve your immediate ambition you're going to have that player on the books unless it's a straight loan for six months you're going to have that player on the books for the next four or five years paying them you know 100 150 200 grand a week so whoever you buy there is another player who you might want who's not going to come because that player's got their seat so it's not just about the player you buy it's the opportunity cost for bringing them in you know um there were years we could have updated upgraded our attack but we couldn't because we had lacazette and orba there you know years we could have updated upgraded our defense but we struggled because we had the likes of mustafi stinking up the place eating a spot it's it's very difficult to make the additions to your squad if you have squad players there who are just sat there not doing anything. So you can't bring in a backup striker who's just going to be there for four or five years eating up eating up wages. So, you know, who the club buy now has to be a player that the club see as being pivotal to our aims this season and for the next three, four, five years. Um, unless, as I say, unless it's a straight loan, which brings us to the likes of Jao Felix, for example, big money loan, talk of a straight six months. I don't know if that's necessarily great for us in the sense of he might not necessarily be 100% match fit in the way we'd want him to be. He may not be firing on all cylinders the way we want him to be. He might, you never know, he might come and just hit the ground running because he's an incredibly talented player. But it may take him a few games to get get ready to, to give his best. And we don't really have that kind of time, you know, Anyone who comes in really needs to hit the ground running for us to achieve our ambitions. And of course, you can't legislate for everything and there's no guarantees in football. You're buying him because you think you can. Um, So I do wonder whether, particularly for the money that would be required for a loan deal there, I do wonder whether this is more of a six months and the club negotiate uh, an option to buy if it works out rather than a pure six-month loan and then we send him back. Um, I, I for one, would kind of love to see how a you know, inform match fit, you know, Xiao Felix fits in an Arteta system because I think it would look amazing. But the money has to be right. You can't just say it's not our money. As I said, the opportunity cost is a thing. We all want to see the club do well. So it's not a question of it being your money or their money or whatever. It's a question of whoever is in that seat is blocking the path for someone else who could be in that seat. So you want the right person because that person is the person you're going to be watching. This person we're going to be watching is someone we want to see do well. So we can't just say buy anyone. And, you know, there is this temptation, we all do it, but there is this temptation that, you know, the club get linked with a player in the press and all of a sudden everyone thinks that's the player we need. You know, there's a multitude of players out there on the market who no one is talking about because we're not linked with them. But it could be that the club have their eye on someone else who could really come to help out. And when you look at the kind of money that's being asked for, for Mudrick, who we'll come on to in a bit, and for Jao Felix, you have to ask yourself the question, if the club have 80 million odd pounds to, to play with in January, how many other players out there in the world could you spend 80 million pounds on that could do what we need them to do? There is a ton of them. And some of them, it's not until you approach the club and drop the money on the table that you know whether or not they're available. So we might sit there and think all these players that could we could go and get aren't available, but until the club slapped the money on the table, you don't know. Arsenal have a different knock. We know that. So... I'm excited about the idea of Jao Felix, but I just don't know if it fits where we are financially. You know, if Atletico drop their demands, then that might change things. But for now, 
I'll be interested to see where that goes. You know, reports are that it, the, you know, it's a bit too rich for United's blood and they're looking at Wild Weghorst. Can't read everything you hear. It seems like, you know, decent sources seem to suggest that the, the Weghorst thing is at least possible and moving forward. So that'll be interesting to see how that works out for them. Um, if they go that direction, it pretty much leaves us and Atletico having the conversation about Felix unless, you know, Chelsea come in with a audacious bid at the 11th hour. So, yeah, so I'm really curious to see about that one. Of course, there's Mudrick. The the money Shakhtar have been asking for up to now is just obscene. Um, I understand it. I get it. Um, you know, that you, particularly in the situation they're in and everything that's going on in Ukraine, you want to maximise, you know, if you have a talent that's that highly rated, you want to maximise it as much as humanly possible. And it's clear that he's doing everything he can, you know, soft power-wise to try and, you know, get the club to negotiate. I think Arsenal, from what we see outside looking in, look like they're approaching it the right way. They're not jumping in headfirst and paying whatever's required, but they're not low-balling to the point where it's not even a negotiation. It's just sort of them pretending to be going in for someone when really they had no chance. So hopefully a deal will be found for a price that everyone's comfortable with, even if it's not ideal. I don't think we should be paying, you know, 80 million euros, 100 million euros. I, I, there's no way in the world. And you can turn around and say, if he comes good, it won't matter. Um, and sure, you know, amortization, if you spread it out over the course of five years, you can, you know, if you achieve your ambitions and you can, you can find a way to justify it, but that's the thing. If you achieve your ambitions, you can find a way to justify anything, but it could still leave you short in another part of the pitch, either in January or in the summer, which ends up costing you down the line. There is no bottom pit of money. So these things have to be sensible. Um, you know, there are some players who you can go out and say, look, for that player, whatever the hell they want, slap that money down. You know, if someone's telling you you can get Mbappe for 120 mil, you slap the money down because that's, you know, that's about as sure a bet as you can get. But Mudrik isn't that. Um, we don't know what he could be. Ceiling seems incredibly high, but we don't know. And he's barely had, you know, he's barely had three dozen top flight games at the highest level. So you, you really are betting on someone's potential more than what is realized. And while those bets can go your way, they can also not go your way. And look, as much as the price tag shouldn't matter, it does and it will. Because if it doesn't work out, you know, most people listening, the press, other fans will be judging him by that price tag. You know, Nicola Pepe became 72 million pounds Nicola Pepe and the price tag was always a point of conversation. Now, if Nicola Pepe turned in, you know, performances the way Bukayo Saka's performing, Everyone looks at that price tag and goes, yeah, fair enough. But he didn't. And I do think Mudrick would have to come in and be pretty much sensational um, for that price tag were it paid to to not be a thing, a, a millstone around his neck. So really hoping um, a deal can be done there. And I think it's got to be a case of there's a basic amount we pay, you know, £40 million, and everything else is based on... Um, is based on performances, right? So if he reaches the level that, you know, Shakhtar think he can, that he thinks he can, that the club thinks he can, then the club make payments to Shakhtar later down the line. But, you know, I don't think we should be guaranteeing them 70 million pounds or something like that. Absolutely not. You know, 35 million and then another potential 30 million, 40 million in, in add-ons if he achieves certain things. But yeah, we'll see. Shakhtar seem pretty intent on it. Um, as I said, there are additions that are required. Those are the kind of people that are being spoken about at the moment. I do think there's a question mark about the midfield position and the degree to which we need cover there. Um, and El Nene's obviously back from injury. Um, 
I, I don't really don't know what the situation is because, of course, uh, when, when El Nene got injured, we went into the market in the summer for Douglas Luiz. He signed a new contract with Villa, I think. Um, so I doubt we're going back in for him. With El Nene back, I don't know if we're... Um, I don't know if we're going to try and find another midfielder. It seems a bit interesting because, you know, we knew Onani would be out for a few months and he only signed a one-year contract in the summer, so his contract's up again at the end of the summer. So would the club be looking to sign... Were the club looking to bring forward that signing by one year or or what was the plan, you know? So do the club look and say, nope, we'll keep Enneny for um, and make do if he gets injured again? Or do they say, let's bring forward the summer signing so we've got that cover there and can bed them in? I'm, I'm curious to see whether or not the midfield target gets revisited, particularly the number eight as well. I'm curious to see whether that gets revisited. But, you know, I think right now, as we can see, the focus is very much on beefing up the attacking line so that we have options to be able to change games when they get difficult. Because make no mistake, Newcastle doubled up, tripled up on um, on Sacco and, you know, really compressed the spaces in between the lines snapped in hard in challenges when the ball came in the middle. So, you know, we'd go wide Saka, he'd get double teamed, triple teamed. We tried to do a switch across to the other side. Um, Martinelli was up against Trippier. Um, good matchup. Trippier did well defensively. Um, when Zinchenko uh, was doing his bits and he was managed to get the ball through into Saka, uh, sorry, into Shaka in, in the number eight position, Newcastle was snapping into him. Um, I think teams are seeing how to nullify an Arsenal attack. And I think an Arsenal attack without Jesus, I think with Nketiah up top, I've got high hopes for him to be able to do well. You know, right now he's got, what, two goals, three games. If he keeps up that ratio for the rest of the season, he's done what he needed to do. More than, I think, he's done what he needed to do. If 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 your backup striker can get an average of one goal every uh, one goal every two games, two goals every three games, even one goal every three games, I think your backup striker is is averaging the kind of numbers you'd expect your young backup striker to average. So if he keeps this up, he's doing well. But there's no doubt about it, we do lose, lose a little bit from the game. And I think the connection between Jesus and Martinelli on the left is something that we miss um, and was miss, definitely missed against Newcastle, that tenacity, that energy. And you can't expect Nketiah to be Jesus. That's not what it is. Um, so, yeah, with all of that, I think we need options to be able to switch things up, to be able to overload, to be able to push teams back so we can go and get the win if we need it. Um, because if we can go and get the early goal and, and sort of have teams on the back foot from early, then it changes things. But in games where we can't get the early goal, we could have a bit of difficulty if we need to change things from the bench. So, yeah, we all know additions are required. Um, you know, earlier on in the season, my thinking was, and it still is to to a, to a degree in that you can't just buy your way out of trouble every time a player gets injured. At some point, the squad you have is the squad you have. You know, if Nketi gets injured, we can't buy a striker. And if that striker gets injured, we can't just buy another striker. It doesn't work that way. If you want to win the league, if you want to finish in top four, your first team have to stay healthy. That's just the reality of it. And if they don't, you won't achieve your aims. But that being said, we were already a bit short and now we have key injuries. Um, so these players have to come in if we want any chance of being able to maintain a um, uh, our, our good form. Because the fact is that you end up in a, a position where you're going up against City. They can string together 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 wins in a row. We've seen them do it again and again and again. So we can't be dropping points against Brentford, against Everton, against Newcastle, against, you know, Southampton and Brighton. We can't go through the second half of the season dropping points against teams that we 
we drop points again into the past and expect to be able to finish first or, or even second at some point. We have to be able to put the, the runs together in the second half of the season like we did in the first, and we'll need the numbers to do that because, as I say, we'll have games where we're not going to score in the first 10, 15 minutes, and we need to be able to, to, to have options to be able to break down teams. So I think we'll see at least one addition. I think there's a chance we see two if, if teams are, if we can get sort of asking prices down enough. Um, and I do think bringing in one player may help with the negotiation with a second in that, you know, right now everyone knows we need the attack and we haven't bought anyone. And as more games go by and the closer we get to the end of the window, teams know we're going to get desperate. But if we're able to to bring one player in, suddenly the some of the needs alleviated. So we'll have a stronger negotiating position going in for the other. Um, so we'll see how it goes. Ambitions for the season. I wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about this because I'm, I'm quite conflicted. So I'll be curious to uh, see what you guys think. So do get in touch at the hybrid club, um, at CSAs, get in touch, let me know your thoughts. I'm kind of curious to see what you all think about this. So first things first, and ambitions for the season. Um, I just wanted to talk about this. So for me, this is my personal opinion. Number one is always get top four. That's not the be all and end all. It's not um, what we should be aiming for in the sense of like, in the sense of our ultimate goals for a season. I think it's our bare minimum for a season is top four, bare minimum. Um, top four in a cup run, bare minimum. Um, it's been too long. It has been far too long since we played Champions League football. You cannot have the likes of Martinelli, Bukayo Saka, um, Martin Odegaard, William Saliba, Gabriel Magalhaes. You cannot have these players playing Europa League football. It's just, it's inconscionable. You know, we saw recently that William Saliba was ranked the fifth um, most valued centre-back in the world. You can't have him playing, you know, um, and, and all respect to them in the world. You can't have the, you can't have him travelling to the Arctic Circle to play Europa League on a Thursday night. That's just, that's not right. Um, we need to be playing Champions League football. This needs to be a Champions League club. There are you know, there are a, a particular subsect of football fans whose only memory of Arsenal is as, as a Europa League club. Um, it sounds really silly for those of us who are a certain age and yada, 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 but like if you're in your formative years of watching football and supporting football, football clubs and a football team, you only know Arsenal as a Europa League club. That's disgusting. We spent half a decade as a Europa League club. That is disgusting. In that last half, half a decade, United have played Champions League football. Spurs have played Champions League football. Liverpool play played Champions League football. They've won it. City have played Champions League football. Chelsea have played Champions League football. They've won it. All of the other teams in the so-called top six have played Champions League football in the last half a decade, except for us. That's not acceptable. Um, so that's first things first. So for me, we, we get top four. We've achieved our target for the season. The other target for me, and again, I'm just talking purely from my perspective, is winning the Europa League, not getting to the semi-final, not getting to the final, winning it. We do not win enough European trophies. I don't want to win the Europa League as a backup to finishing the top four and getting Champions League football. Arsenal Football Club do not win enough European trophies. We are, other than a couple of teams who've dropped down from the Champions League, we are arguably the best team in the competition. You know, there's Barcelona and United on their day when they fix up, but we're good enough to beat United and Barcelona, anything can happen. Um, I think we we really should be looking at the Europa League as something to win. Um, now, don't get me wrong. If we're if we're in a run for the title, and we've got a certain amount of points ahead of City, and there's a choice between you know 
throwing the Europa League and throwing the league, then obviously you know what you're focusing on. But I just think if it's possible, I, I want to see Arsenal win a, a European trophy. Um, so that's a personal one for me. But I think for the club, for the team, top four minimum, absolute minimum. Um, and to that point, um, take a look at this. For the last five seasons, the average point points tally that would get you Champions League football. So 75 points, 71 points, 66 points, 65 points, 71 points. So those tallies in the past five seasons, um, respectively, would have got you fourth place. Um, we currently, this season, have 44 points. So we are 31 points off the highest of those. We, If you average out those numbers, it's about 69 points. So we're about 25 points off that. That's eight wins and one draw from 21 games remaining. And that gets us pretty much top four. That's eight wins out of 21 with one draw. We can do that. I mean, even if I just went through our fixtures for the second half of the season, it would become pretty clear where eight wins could come from. Everton, you can get a win. Wolves, you can get a win. Forest, you can get a win. That's three already, right? Um, Southampton should be able to get a win. That's that's four. West Ham away should be able to get a win. That's five. Um, Fulham away should be able to get a win. That's six. Bournemouth home should be able to win. That's seven. Leicester away, that's a win. Eight. That's eight wins right there. Brentford at home should be able to get a win. Nine. Top four should not be a problem by this stage. Um, so if that's the case, what else is there? Well, I just wanted to take a look at some of our stats this season and just and follow a similar logic just before I get to that next stage. Um, <clears throat> we scored 61 goals all of last season in the league. It's January and we're already on 40, right? Um, we got 69 points all of last season. Um, we got, uh, we're already on 44 points this season. Um, so we are ahead of what we what we were doing last season. And last season, we were only a couple of points off top four. So it's clear that we are well on course for top four unless we have a cataclysmic drop-off in form. So with that the case, what comes next? Well, for me, when I think what comes next, I think we have to we have to talk about the quote unquote elephant in the room, the title run. We are currently um, top of the table, obviously. Um, I think when you've played seventeen games, one fourteen, drawn two, lost one, goals for forty, goals against fourteen, goal difference plus twenty six, forty four points. Last five games, one four, drawn one. Um, when you're in a position where you have five points on Manchester City um, in the new year, you're doing something right because Man City are an incredibly good side. I think, you know, they've won, what, four out of the last five Premier League titles. They are very much turning the Premier League into the Bundesliga. Um, they're turning the Premier League into Liga and utter dominance. Four out of five is utter dominance. Let's not pretend otherwise. So for us to be five points clear of them at this stage is incredible. And it's a testament to the work of Arteta, Edu, Vinay, the whole club, um, where we were very, very quick to be critical of the competence of the club when they were making some of the incredibly stupid decisions that they were making in the past. Let's not mince words. Some of those decisions that were made in the past were incredibly stupid. Um, whether or not that you know, whether or not done in good faith or bad faith, whether or not you believe um, some of the things that happened were in the best interest of the club or the best interest of individuals associated with the club, that's neither here nor there. 
some of the things that happened in the past were incredibly dumb. Um, but if you're going to criticize the bad things, you have to praise the good. You can't just be critical and then shrug when the good things happen and say, well, that's what I expect. You praise the good, you criticize the bad. That's how this works. Um, and the club have done a lot of good things, including sticking with Arteta during an incredibly bad run. Now, I understand when I looked back over that particular run up until that Boxing Day period, I could not believe how bad it was. I'd actually forgotten how bad it was. Um, but I had to ask myself the question. I was asking it at the time and I was talking to people at the time. Um, how long did people think it would take to turn around the club as bad as we were, as disjointed as the squad was, as bad as the squad building was, as many players were there for the wrong reasons, as many as we had too many average players on big money. You know, we had a we had to turn over of 20 odd players in a space of a couple of years. You know, that is a big job to turn around a club that were doing as badly as we were on pretty much every metric. I think, you know, my question was, how long do you think this would take? My mind, it was a five-year project. You know, it was five years from the time Arteta was hired. In my mind, and this isn't now, I was saying it at the time, I didn't expect us to be able to be in a position to compete with some of the best teams in the in 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 the league for five years. Genuinely, that's how long I thought it would take to to rebuild the club, um, because that's how bad we were in my eyes. Um, so the fact that we're here after three, I think is 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 genuinely phenomenal. But now we're here. The point is to keep it going, right? And when you're in a position where you know Man United are fourth place on thirty five points currently, Tottenham are fifth place on thirty three points. Liverpool 6th place on 28 points, Chelsea 10th place on 25 points. You know, Arsenal Football Club, we have a nearly 20-point lead on Chelsea by January. That is, you know, recent history, that has not happened often. So the question is, when you have this kind of opportunity where Liverpool have fallen off a bit, Spurs are their usual nonsense selves, United are slowly getting back in form, but have generally been, you know, more missed than hit this season. And Chelsea are pretty much out of a conversation. Well, you have to take the opportunity. Um, I genuinely believe that we've got to the stage of, of you know, Premier League dominance of City, whereby you're probably going to get one opportunity every five years where they're not at their best. And even City not being at their best is, you know, 94 points rather than 99. You know, that's really what we're talking. 90 points rather than 100. Like that for me is once every five years on average, you might get a city team. You know, we don't know what city are going to look like when Pep eventually goes, yada, yada, yada. But let's not forget, they won Premier League titles before Pep came. So it's not like they were just fourth, fifth, sixth place, Pep came and they started winning titles. They were well on their way to being this team before they got him. It's just getting him put them well over the top. But still, I, I, I think when you're presented with this opportunity, you have to take it and we can't for fear of saying the the big thing out loud, we can't pretend the opportunity isn't there. Now, because the league finished a little bit earlier than it normally would, you know, where we are in January is what would have been going on in December and February would have been where we are in January, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't personally look at it as a quote unquote title run yet. And that's not sort of me trying to protect my emotions and feelings by not saying it out loud. It's because while we're in January, you know, um, in terms of Premier League games from that perspective, we're in December, if you get my meaning. Um, so I think it's way too soon to be talking about that, particularly when we're talking about a team like Man City. I think we have to get basically to the middle slash end of February. And if we are still, you know, five points clear, 
three points clear, you know, two points clear of City in that situation, if they haven't sort of done a nine-point turnaround and, and flipped the situation on its head by then, then I think it's full-blown title run at that point. Um, so that's how it is in my mind. As I say, I, I understand why people say, you know, look, it's, we're 17 games in, we're five points clear. Of course, it's a title race. I understand that perspective. For me, I've seen too many Premier League seasons where, you know, 10-point gaps get turned around, seven-point gaps get turned around. Five points at this stage of the season is nothing, genuinely, particularly where the team's going to see. So I'll be sort of, my ha- my head will be on it's a title race come the end of Feb before in the same situation. Um, particularly because by the end of February, we would have played by that point um, Spurs a second time, Man United a second time, Man City um, the first time. So there are sort of nine big points, nine potential swing points that would make a massive difference, particularly that City game at home. Because let's not forget, we play them at home. I think, yes, we played them at home before we play them away, um, which I think is a big advantage, obviously, having the home game first. But, you know, let's say we match their points total um, going into the City game. um, And so we're still five points clear. And we win that and we're eight points clear. You know, suddenly you're looking at it and you're like, okay, you're eight points clear. Liverpool away, something was happened there, you're right. City away, something was happened there, you're right. And suddenly you just got to make sure you do the business against Newcastle, um, against Chelsea and, and any other team you should be beating. And I know it sounds really silly and we do those kind of mental gymnastics in our head to try and figure out what games we can win or what games we need to win and lose. But it, it really does come down to, to that kind of thing. When you look at past seasons, you look at City, you look at Liverpool, um, you look at top four, you need to just do away with the teams that you expected to win and you need to take a certain number of points off the teams around you at the top. So far, we've been able to do that. You know, we only uh, lost to, to United in the league. Um, you know, we managed to get the points against Liverpool. We managed to get the points against Chelsea. We managed to get the points against Spurs. Um, so now we need to make sure that we are in a position to push on. So while I don't, while I think it's too soon to say we're in a title race, I think where we are is in a place to position ourselves to be the front runners in the title race. That's the position we're in. Um, and that's what we need to do. So I'm really looking forward to getting this Oxford game out of the way because I really want to see how we perform away to Spurs where in the North London derby, home team usually wins in recent seasons. Um, at home to United because we should have beaten them. We didn't have party in midfield. We already know what happened with Lokonga in the space that allowed um, Ericsson to find Fernandes, who was down for uh, Rashford. So we already know how they were able to take four, four points off us in that game. Return fixture... Who knows? Um, hopefully we'll have some of our signings in by then, so we'll have a have an ability to change it. But I think both in the Spurs game and the, and the United game, we're going to need to um, take the points in terms of... Sorry, we're going to need to score early to be able to take the points um, because I think we're going to need to get early goals and hold them off. Um, Spurs, we know how to beat them, but whenever we play them away, we get suckered into their game. So let's see some maturity this time. But I think if we take... Um, you know, four points out of six from Spurs and United, then I think we're we're doing really well um, because the rest of the sort of tougher games for the rest of the season are maybe slightly more spaced out. We do have City and Chelsea back to get back to back, but depending on what happens in the Europa League, some of these get fixtures will get moved around. So yeah, um, in terms of goals for the season, obviously top four, but I think unless we have a cataclysmic collapse, top four is pretty much on the card. So it's about what next. 
And I do think putting ourselves in a position to be in a title race by having a good four to six weeks is really pivotal. And that's where the additions come in. We need those additions to be able to position ourselves for a title race so that we can then take advantage of the one time City aren't at their absolute best. And if they drop any more points in the next few weeks, we have to position ourselves to take advantage because we cannot drop points against teams we should be beating and letting them back in. Because while I don't think it'll be a failure to to not win the league, it will be disappointing if we go two thirds of the season at the top of the table only to fall away in the last few weeks. That'll be bitterly disappointing um, because we're probably not going to get as much of a chance to do this again in the future. We might, this might be the beginning of something special and actually we might, but we don't know that yet. What we do know is what we're, where we are now and what we can do now. So let's put ourselves in the position to do that. Um, but before we get to the league, of course, there is the matter of Oxford. Um, you know, as it has held his press conference, we've been training. Um, you know, we've, we're, of course, part of the Oxford game is the No More Red campaign. So we'll be playing in the white kit, which... You know, love the campaign, love the idea of the campaign, everything it's about, hate the white kit, hate it, it's too spursy, don't like it. But I understand it as a concept, so fair enough. Um, it's an important campaign, so any way you can support, please do. Um, this stuff is serious and it affects so many people. So, you know, not to get on the soapbox or whatever, if you can support the campaign in some way, please definitely do. Um, but on the football matters, um, you know, Arteta was asked, and I'm going to come on to this because it, it, we're going to talk about some of the key players here. Um, he was asked about Smith Rowe, um, a player who you know we we you know we know needs to come back and have an impact. And he said he can play as an attacking midfielder, as a wing, or even even as a nine. I think he's played there before. First of all, we need him fit and at his best. And when we have that, we have an incredible player that we've missed in the last few months. Tomorrow he trains well. He will hopefully be available to give us something in the game. So. We hear from Arteta that Smith Rowe, all going well, training going well, he'll be a part of the, the team, whether it is as a starting player or off the bench. Um, I'll be interested to see. Um, and that for me is really important because when it comes to important players for this game and the second half of the season, I think there are two um, there are two players that come to mind for me. The first is Smith Rowe. Um, Ten goals last season, I think incredible player his ability to run on to cut back strike the ball um get goals take players on good runner works hard offers us something different i think you know goals from midfield i say midfield number eight position wide forward i think we'll need that particularly with jesus being out for another couple of months at least and then it will take a bit of time for him to get anywhere near back to up to speed it's going to be crucial so we just need him back and he's not been able to stay fit and while we love smith rowe and, you know, I absolutely love the guy as a player for us. You know, there's no point in having players who look talented, who have potential if they can't stay fit. As Arsenal fans, any of us who remember the the, the quote-unquote banter years, the early Emirates years, know how much of a killer it is having talented players who can't stay fit because, you know, managers are reluctant to sign replacements for them because they're always on the verge of coming back to fitness. And then they come back to fitness and they're out for another three months. You know, we had so many of those players in, in those years and it just hampered our ability to progress. So Smith Rowe needs to be able to come back. Um, we need to be able to manage his fitness. That's where the additions come into it as well because we can share minutes. Similar to the Zinchenko situation with Tierney, if we overload Tierney, we know what's going to happen. Um, none of us are medical professionals, so we can't speak to sort of 
injury proneness. I don't want to go in that direction because, you know, we're not, you know, some of you listening might be medical professionals, but I'm certainly not. So I don't know about the, the validity of injury proneness as a concept, but we can only go by the history and the history suggests that some players when playing a lot of football are more likely to break down than others. It's just, it's what it is. Um, so to guard against that, that repetition of that history, you know, those additions mean those minutes can be shared. It means he could be protected. He could be brought back as, his, as he grows, his body develops and his muscles can get stronger and he can then become the player we know he can. So I think this is the first in a long step back for him. But fingers crossed he can do what we need him to do so he can come back and be a major part of the second part of the season. The second player I think is going to be pivotal, not just for this game, but also second half of the season, Fabio Vieira. Arteta has spoken about him recently and spoke about the fact he's sort of physically in a better place to be able to compete and offer the team what, what, what we need. Obviously, when he came in, he was injured, um, was maybe a, physically a little bit undercooked for the Premier League, but still shown some really bright moments, both in the Europa League and some, some cameos in the league. You know, a couple of fantastic goals. Um, yeah, I, I think he's clearly a talented player, clearly technically proficient. And when we are playing against teams who are going to play in a low block because they're scared of our threat, having a technician who can um, connect but also spread the play is pivotal. Having a player who can shoot from distance is pivotal. If there's um, anything that can undo a low block, it's individual brilliance. Um, dribblers, because you'll move people out of position, creating space for other people, disjoint defenders, and technicians who can connect play because you can pass in between technically proficient players in small spaces. And Fabio Vieira can give you all of that. So if he is physically where he needs to be, to, and if he can start to, to to come into his own and be the player he can be in this stage of the season, we, we've we got something cooking. So fingers crossed he can do that. Um, in terms of the FA Cup game, Marcus Bergwijn, former um, Arsenal youth player, um, left us to play for Barcelona B, is uh, rebuilding his career. Oxford United doing well for them, very much a mainstay in their midfield um, and doing well. Uh, interesting just to see how he performs because this will be a big opportunity for him against the former club to show what he can do. Um, you know, he was very highly rated when he, he was with us as a central midfielder, took part in a uh, sort of promo video he did with the club with the likes of, you know, um, Josh De Silva, who's now at Brentford, Reese Nelson, Eddie Nketiah. Um, I think Joe Willock was part of that. Um, I think maybe Matt Macy was as well. He, so he was very much highly, highly rated. Um, yeah, so his career maybe hasn't gone the direction he would have hoped, but, you know, he's playing professional football, he's playing regularly, so I'm sure part of him is 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 enjoying that, if nothing else. And this will be an opportunity for him. You know, we're the only FA Cup fixture on um, on 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 Monday, so he'll be playing in front of the nation and have an opportunity to show himself right during the January transfer window. So I'm sure he'll want to put on a, put on a play, but this is uh, Oxford against Arsenal, so you'd expect us to be able to do what we do and, and go through. Um it will be the first time we've played Oxford, I think, in 20 years. Um, and look, we got knocked out by Nottingham Forest last season, you know, while doing the um, No More Red campaign wearing the white shirt. So a little bit of uh, PTSD playing a team in a lone division. Um, so I'm sure the club aren't going to want that to happen back to back. Um, I don't think, I think it's been sort of 27, 28 years since we've had back to back. Um, Knock it, being knocked out by lower, uh, lower league opposition two years in a row. Um, 
So yeah, it will be an interesting game. Oxford have had a bit of an up and down season, but they're a solid team and it's the FA Cup and, you know, insert quote about the magic of the cup here. But the fact is in a one-off game, professionals against professionals, anything can happen. So we have to be switched on, particularly if if we're going to rotate heavily, which I really, really, really hope we do. Um, If we're going to rotate heavily, then um, I think we're going to need to be switched on because we're maybe not going to have the fluency there that we otherwise would. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if the manager went strong just to just to um, give some minutes post-World Cup to some players who need it. But I hope we rotate. My expected lineup, hoped lineup, maybe Turner, Tommy Asu holding, Gabriel, although, you know, maybe you want to give Sleeper some minutes to, to get, him, get some of the rust, rust stuff that we've seen. Tierney, um, Elneny, Lokonga, Vieira, Marquinhos, Smith Rowe, and Ketia. Um, that's what I'd be interested in seeing. We don't obviously have Jesus, we don't have Reese Nelson. Um, so that's kind of what I want to see, but I'm not quite sure if we'll get that. Um, it'll be interesting to, to, to take it there. So anyway, that's kind of all I wanted to talk about just because I wanted to get a few things off my chest. Um, just some in other conversations, of course. Um, Jordan Nobbs has left Arsenal to join Villa on a permanent transfer been associated with Arsenal for 12 years, uh, absolute club legend, wisher, all the best, um, brilliant player, amazing track record, um, three Super League titles, lifted the FA Cup four times, League Cup five times, um, brilliant individual player, um, full England international, 69 caps, eight goals. Honestly, when you have a player who's very, very Arsenal, very much Arsenal, um, they deserve the applauds because they embody a lot of what the club stand for. And Jordan Nobbs is definitely one of those players. So wish you all the best in the next stage of a career at Villa, except when, of course, when they play against the Arsenal. Um, anyway, that's it for me. Thank you very much for joining me. Um, great to be back. You know, listen, like, subscribe, subscribe, leave a review, repost, retweet, all of that shit. Um, but more than anything, just get in contact. Give us your thoughts, anything you want to talk about, any questions you have. Um, just anything at all. It would be good to hear from you all. Um, but other than that, just enjoy the game against Oxford. Hopefully, big win for the Arsenal. Let's put on a show, get some confidence back ahead of a big game coming on the weekend. We'll be back on Thursday um, just to yeah, look at what's coming next. But in the meantime, have a good one, people, in a bit. <laughs>